The Athletic. Totally football show. Today, more World Cup teams are in. Ghana must go to Qatar. And Mo Salah beaming all over his face, but that was just the lasers before he skied his penalty and went out. Elsewhere, call him Hans Christian Eriksson. The Danish fairy tale continues. We talk return of the Premier League and the week's best game, courtesy of the Dames. Wednesday's incredible Clasico in the Women's Champions League. All that plus into Totally 2 in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Bauer. Thursday, 31st of March. Boom. Here with us, Duncan Alexander, Dan Bardell and Carl Anker. And in the loneliest role of all, you, the listener. Hello to you all. Hello. Hello. Right. There you go. Slight tremor of anticipation of anxiety in Duncan's voice there because he is in an intertotally quarterfinal later on. Dan, lovely to have you back. It's been a while. Yeah, didn't qualify for the for the tournament. Not, not yeah. qualified. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. Perhaps. Perhaps uh, every young man's dream, of course, and woman's. And Carl, you've just been living the dream, he said, slipping along <laughs> in a nice presently fashion. Uh, just back from that Nigeria thing. Oh yes, that was that was an experience. I uh, on two different occasions, my nose was stinging due to tear gas, and I got uh, quite impolitely prodded slash jabbed by a policeman with a two foot stick trying to enter. <laughs> The National Team Stadium in Abuja. What Where did game? he prod you? Uh, right in the backpack, shall we say. Oh. Uh, anyway, we'll be hearing your report on that match. Thank goodness for away goals, A. But it is, of course, uh, 234 days on this Thursday morning to the World Cup. The draw is only one day away. That's going to be happening uh, Friday in Doha, I imagine. Yep, yes. getting nods. Five o'clock UK time. Uh, although it'll only feature 29 teams, is that right? Also nods. We've got 10 more teams that have booked their places since our last show. Portugal, Poland, Ghana, Senegal, Cameroon, Morocco and Tunisia, Mexico and USA, Ecuador. But still to be sorted, well, the last European spot, which will go to one of Wales, Scotland or Ukraine. We'll find out in June. Then you've got those playoffs. Australia versus United Emirates for the right to take on Peru in Doha. And also Costa Rica against New Zealand. In Doha. Woo! All right. Carl, you're up first with Nigeria 1, Ghana 1. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Tunisian centre referee have signalled the end of proceedings. The Black Stars of Ghana over the hills and far away. Some said it was Mission Impossible. Scratch that. It is Mission Completed. Carl, you were there in Abuja, Nigeria for this 1-1 draw which saw the Black Stars through on away goals. What a what a day you had. Have you ever seen a build-up to a match like that one before? No, completely not. That was utter chaos uh, in, in the nicest and, and, and baffling way. So uh, Brilla FM, the, the media partner to the Nigerian Football Federation, ran uh, a broadcast two or three times before the game advising football fans saying, if you support the Super Eagles, go to the game. But if you simply wish to watch Nigeria versus Ghana, do not go to the stadium because we, need own, we don't need casuals. We need the most diehard of fans. We need everyone to, uh, I think the term was, to strike fear and intimidation into the hearts of the Ghanaian national team. Mm. Um, there was a lot of controversy about Nigeria's decision to have the game in Abuja rather than Lagos. There was an, another segment where someone said, Abujans are too civilised, or they think they're too civilised for, for regulation football, and, and they need the chaos of, of Lagos to be the 12th man. But when you got to the stadium... Uh, and tried to get into the grounds and armed police and there was tear gas being fired and people essentially there was there was like a break in a fence and a bunch of football fans like leapt over and dashed towards the stadium and you went well they love football here there is no way this game is is going to be played uh at the noise level of a of a premier league game or even like a champions league quarter final it was going to be something else entirely uh, former arsenal legend Carnu did a lap of the field at half five uh, to, to the shouts of everyone. Uh, and then I think the Nigerian national anthem was one of the loudest things I've ever heard in my life. Just 
above and beyond any sort of reaction I heard over the European Championships covering England. Mm. It was a different level. Uh, the game itself, hmm, <laughs> hmm, <laughs> ambivalent qu- quality, shall we say. Mm. Uh, and then the reaction at the end was, was, was quite remarkable, where a number of disgruntled Nigerian fans uh, sort of stampeded towards the pitch, which, which was allowed. Um, so the exits are, are found basically towards the running track and they essentially allow those exits to be open to, to just help with ease of exiting the stadium. Um, but a number of disgruntled Nigerian fans, of, re- upon realising that they'd essentially been knocked out of World Cup qualification by their hated rivals, um, rushed to the field, pretty much destroyed the dugout uh, leading to the police firing tear gas onto the field to disperse everything uh, while I very sheepishly ran away to the press box uh, and uh, sort of put my face mask on and went, no, no, I'm, I'm not Ghanaian. Listen to my very British accent. You don't have to call me those <laughs> deeply offensive swear words. Carl, <laughs> uh, going through to a World Cup, but also stopping Nigeria go through to a World Cup, can there be anything sweeter? No. It, this is the ideal scenario for, for the Ghanaian national team. Also, bear in mind, this is not a great Ghanaian national team. A lot of the sentiment from Nigerian football fans leaving was, how did we lose to this Ghana team, this terrible Ghana team? Uh, I think someone said, uh, Ab- Abdua lost us this game. Uh, the, quite a few Nigerian journalists I was speaking to were saying, uh, Ossian Evergun needs to resign immediately, sort of in you know, before he had this press conference. Nigerian fans were calling it a disgrace, a tragedy. Abdul was in mourning. The Ghana football team flew out pretty much immediately after showering. They they, they landed back in Accra at 12 o'clock. So they, you know, there's an hour time difference. But for them to get back to Accra at 12 o'clock, they basically showered, got on the bus and flew directly from the airport to where they were warmly received. Um, so this is a huge story in sub-Saharan Africa. I expect in the next week and a half... Um, the Nigerian national team will probably have a new coach. We'll probably see the retirement of players like Odio Nigalo uh, and Ahmed Musa, slightly older players. Some, you know, some like Victor Moses might possibly be be talked about coming back in or possibly retired as well. Uh, and there'll probably be a big discussion about um, the future of a, a number of dual nationality players. Um, should they get more in, or should should they sort of refocus and and, and focus more on domestic talent? So Nigeria is going to have a big inquisition. The Ghana team are not particularly good. There was a point in the second half when I was watching both of these teams and going, neither of these teams are going to get out of the group stage of the World Cup. But the prospect of going to the World Cup, I think, mm. will be good for Ghana, will be good for them, possibly attracting more players. There's people like Callum Hudson-Odoi, Lamptey, um, Eddie Nketiah, possibly they could go back and and, and heal all wounds with Mohamed Salisu from Southampton and could possibly have a, a, a slightly more retool and, and a stronger squad uh, for the World Cup in Qatar. Hopefully, I'd enjoy them playing uh, the United States so they can continue that rivalry as well. Yeah, which you'll have to tell us more about perhaps when we, we get closer. Well, we'll see who we, they get in the drawer as well, but not a great performance, enough to go through. But given the fact that you're coming off the worst AFCON performance ever by Ghana, the progress under new head coach Otto Addo and technical advisor Chris Hooten, of course, uh, has, has been remarkable. Who knows where you could be by November? Truly, it's it's only two games. There was a there was a strange moment uh, in the pre-match. So there was an open training session on the Monday uh, and uh, a pre-match press conference. And one Nigerian journalist, who I will call um, Frank, that's not his name, uh, found a bunch of Ghanaian journalists and, and sort of accosted them, saying, "You Ghanaians treated us like barbaric. You were barbaric in your treatment of us in Kumasi. But here we'll be nice to you. You'll have the best food and beer you'll ever have in your life. And then we're going to beat you four 0 uh, this journalist then went to Otto Addo saying, during a press conference, when we saw you sweating profusely in Kumasi. Will you be sweating profusely in Abuja? To which Otto Addo went, look, this is a serious press conference. I only have four questions here. Ask me serious footballing questions. I sweat a lot because it's 33 degrees in Kumasi. Let's mm. move things on. Um, so, yeah, Otto Addo done very, very well with very little time and... Who knows what's next? It's yeah. good to hear a public figure admit they can sweat. That's a change. So. Very nice. Okay, well, a lot of rice was eaten, a lot of football was watched, and Ghana go through to the World Cup. Also through Cameroon, Morocco and Tunisia. Egypt out after facing Senegal again and losing to them on penalties again. And just like at AFCON a month or two ago, Sadio Mane scoring the winning spot kick again thus. 
Il y a l'espoir de tout un pays. L'espoir de tout un pays. L'espoir de tout un pays, Sadio Mané. Sadio Mané qui va frapper. Et c'est le petit but. All right, Mo Salah's kick. Danny, got a view on that major laser action. I mean, some of the, I don't know how many of the videos you've seen, but some of, some of them are absolutely shocking. A guy just yeah. blatantly standing in, in, in the stand, <laughs> just shining his laser, and nobody does anything about it. it, it it's so, so bizarre. You've got, you got to feel sorry for, for Salah, but there's also the... I kind of feel like there's a mini rivalry between Mane and Salah. I know they had a little bit of mm. a, a contretemps on the, on, on the pitch once, and I kind of just feel like Mane will be very satisfied with the fact that he's got, well, he's got two over, over, over Salah now. But it's a shame not to see a player like Salah. He's, he's not going to be at the World Cup, but I, I still think Salah and Mane have probably got one more World Cup in them. Hmm. It's not a yeah. huge shame not to see Egypt at the World Cup, I've got to say from a new No, but Salah. <laughs> have, have you ever had um, a laser pen shone in your eyes? I'm curious about what it actually feels like, how intense it is, and whether if you are given kind of carte blanche, as the Senegalese clearly were, to just point objects at him, it might not be better to go for something a little bit more like, you know, proper spotlight, car headlights, that kind of thing, to really <laughs> put him off his, his game. Has anyone had a laser pen shot in your eye? <laughs> yeah. What was it like, it's, Duncan? It's it's very distracting, like because your your people like reacts to it. So I imagine, given the amount that were being shone on the Egypt players, it would have had an effect. But like you say, Carlos Queiroz must be kept away from tournaments forever. <laughs> so, uh, what what were you doing when you had a laser pen like shone in your face? I presume you weren't taking a penalty or anything. I was trying to get through to the no, yeah, right. Um, it was in the heyday of the laser pen in the UK, which was what I don't know. There, there was a Premier League game that was yeah, yeah. That was uh, the heyday, two thousand. Hang on, here we go. Look, Aston Villa player, okay. uh, Aston Villa fan shines laser pen at a Leeds player in recently, I think. Hmm. So, hmm. But what what were that. you doing, Duncan, when you got a laser pen shone at you? Well, I think it was the time when everyone was getting laser pens, and everyone's like, "Look, you can shine them in your eye." And then someone said, "Well, isn't isn't that bad?" And right. People agreed there was, it was. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's I just, don't know medically. It's the basis much... of laser eye surgery. It's That's not true. good. It's not good. Right. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, in UEFA land, Poland beat Sweden two nil. Robert Lewandowski with a softish penalty, and then uh, Peter Zielinski with the second to send the poles through Sweden have failed to qualify for three of the last four World Cups. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. That's, it feels like Sweden are at every World Cup I and know. they always draw with England. England. That does, it doesn't seem yeah. right. <laughs> uh, so apologies, Swedish fans. It must be miserable to miss out. And I'm just bitter. Uh, Portugal uh, beat North Macedonia. Also 2-0. Both goals from Bruno Fernandes. So there you go. Cristiano Ronaldo is hoping to become... Only the fourth man ever to feature in five World Cups. Can you name the previous three, Carl? Uh, I want to say... Actually, Dan, you, you, this is your quiz. This is your intertotally. Mm. Three men to play in five World Cups. So like the Screen Sports Super Cup. I can name one. All right, who's that? That would be Rafael Marquez. Oh, not the Mexico. one I was expecting, actually, Carl. Uh... Oh, it's got to be a goalkeeper somewhere in that list. Oh. No. Really? No. no I'm... Duncan? Uh, I mean, Lothar Mateus is the yeah. is the classic. Mm. Also played in Euro 80 and Euro 2000, which I quite like. It's neat. What? Mm. How? Uh, he was named in the squad for Euro 80 and again for Germany <laughs> in Euro 2000. Yeah, I know. Every time it's one of those ones you're like, no, that can't be right. It doesn't make sense. Uh, elsewhere in internationals, uh, England had a 3-0 win over Ivory Coast. It was 3-0, wasn't it, in the end? Tyrone mm-hmm. Mings. Yeah. In fact, who were the team who did best in this international break? Probably Aston Villa, eh, Dan Bardell? Yeah, e- excellent stuff. I just hope that that carries on into the into the Wolves game on Saturday. Mm. I mean, it's a far cry from it. You, you do actually forget, it wasn't that long ago Villa were in the Championship and having players on international duty just wasn't really a thing. And now they've got players playing all, all over the place. McGinn scored for Scotland. They had the mm. two goal scorers for England. Matty Cash doing really well for Poland. Luca Dean, Coutinho running up and taking Villa. have got Brazil's penalty taker. It's just, so it's, it's been a massive, massive amount of progress for Villa over the last few years. They had a, a very good international break. I just hope they're OK for Saturday. Yeah, Ollie Watkins opening the scoring. As I mentioned, Tyrone Mings finishing it off. 
uh, Ivory Coast reduced to 10 men after Sejuria got rather harshly mm. sent off in that game. Duncan. Yeah, I mean, it was England's 10th friendly win in a row. I mean, with an aggregate score of 21-2, which is their longest winning run in friendlies since 1929. So mm. it's like on the surface, everything's rosy and England are just bumbling along and, you know, have got a incredibly deep squad of players to choose from. Yet it still ended with a sort of sour note because, you know, Southgate and some of the players were very upset about the crowd's um, reaction to Harry Maguire, which mm. I think is obviously not good, but I think the reaction was a, was slightly over the top. The reaction to the reaction. Yeah. Mm. The Spurs tweet was bizarre. I don't know if you've seen it. <laughs> the, the what, sorry, Dan? The Spurs tweet. Spurs like put out a tweet saying that our, th- our thoughts are with you, Harry Maguire. No player should have to suffer. It's yeah, abuse. But, if, but, if Spurs, but if Spurs were playing Manchester United on Saturday, that tweet wouldn't go out because the Spurs fans would be giving him grief. Do people not remember numerous times where other players have been booed? And in the back in the sort of two thousands, Liverpool fans would boo the United players playing for England and vice versa. It was, I mean, it's not a new thing. So this it did seem like a quite an extreme. Response. I think it's now obviously I cover Manchester United, but I think it's. It, it's nice that the England camp do come together and yeah. defend each other in the way they do, right? Yeah, so, I have no problem with that. It was the Spurs tweet. This I isn't, a, this isn't uh, an isolated incident in terms of defending each other. So obviously, you know, Harry Kane's also come to the defence with Joe Gomez. When Joe Gomez was booed racially in Montenegro, there was obviously the reaction to, to Saka, Sancho and Marcus Rashford when they missed penalties. This is just what Southgate's England do. They look after one another. And that's probably why that squad is going to semi-finals or tournament. Mm. Um, here we are doing the reaction to the reaction to the reaction in true social media style. Mm-hmm. Mm. We'll get your thoughts on that via Twitter, listener. Uh, right, oh, wonderful international break for Christian Eriksen. I feel like he's almost come back better. Is that possible? Like Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting analogy, but yeah, <laughs> I was thinking more like a kind of. I don't know if you ever saw the wonderful Warren Beatty film Heaven Can Wait. Oh yeah, lovely. Film. Yeah, that kind of thing. There's been, also, we should point out by... Darth Vader didn't come back better, so it's, a, it's well, he a came bad. out worse in some ways, but also better. Mm. He did. He did bring balance to the force. He certainly was a lot more effective in sword play. Well, laser play <laughs> than than. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Uh, I think the thing with Ericsson is he. Be- because of uh, concerns about his health, he's not he's doing less and somehow being more focused. So he's not going to be the Christian Eriksen that ran 10 to 11 kilometers per game anymore. Um, and therefore he has to rely more on his passing ability and you know, late entries to the box, which to my mind, Eriksen was always fantastic at that. I think I've said three or four times, one of the biggest failures Barcelona did in the transfer market was when they went for Coutinho instead of going for Christian Eriksen. Hmm. Because Eriksen was the exact sort of player they needed for that time period. Um, and I think, yeah, that's that's probably why Ericsson is looking so great because he's just a little bit more static and a little bit more focused on on doing the sort of passes that we know he's brilliant at. Yeah, I was speaking to Jay Harris, the Brentford journalist for The Athletic in the week, and I just assumed Ericsson was going to stay past, past the summer and, and do another year with Brentford, but apparently it's, it's not a given at all. So it'd be really interesting to see what happens with him in the summer because... You know, he's, he's a maverick player. He's still such a good player. And that, that moment, sc- scoring that goal last week was, was was a lovely moment. But the impact he's made on Brentford, he's kind of turned their season around in yeah. a short space of time as well because they were looking in a little bit of trouble. Well, he scored a, with his first touch in his first game back for Denmark on Saturday, Tuesday. His first game back at the Parken Stadium where, of course, the dramatic incident took place uh, back in the summer and a, a lovely goal uh, there. And Denmark looking good. All right, the draw coming up tomorrow. Anything else from the international front before we move on to club football? I want to mention uh, the reaction from the Algerian head coach, Jamal uh, Belmadi, who, I mean, if you haven't seen the photographs of his reaction to when Cameroon gets their last minute goal to knock out Algeria, it's stunning. So uh, Algeria uh, scoring extra time in that second leg. And it very much looks like that game's not going to go to penalties and Algeria are going to go through. And then I, I want to say sort of 90, within 90 seconds later, Cameroon get that vital away goal um, and, and Algeria's manager collapses to the turf, head in his hands uh, as, as Cameroonian players uh, basically mob the field in celebration. And if you haven't seen the photo, I highly recommend you look it up right now because that is very much one of those, why do we like football? 
in the in like the pro and the negative. It just so much emotion and anguish and happiness in one image. He resigned from his role pretty much immediately at full time, um, saying he couldn't. If you know his failures at Afcon uh, and in World Cup qualifying makes his position untenable, which I think might be a running theme in some of the the, the African coaches who who fail to get to the World Cup. Fair enough, Carl. Fair enough. Very nice. All right. Well, uh, on to the club football next. So what do you think about this Jesse Marsh then? I quite like him. He's American and American managers never get relegated, do they? That's because there's no relegation in Major League Soccer. Oh. It would be generous to say Leeds definitely won't get relegated. But if you want generous, try Paddy Power's Bet Builder offer and get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold Bet Builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pretty much online bet bets only. Win odds one to five per leg. Max free bet ten pounds per day. Seven day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. Eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. Eighteen plus. BeGambleAware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Totally Football Show live. Ooh, we're heading your way, Dan. Tenth uh, of May. We're going to be in Birmingham on stage at the Glee Club uh, with Duncan and Michael Cox and Julian Laurent, plus anyone who wants to come up and slap them. Uh, will they get a warm reception, do you think, Dan? It's a tough place to go, the Glee Club. Yeah. I was there, I was there on a stag do recently. It's, it's a tough place to go. So, yeah, we went, I don't know why. It wouldn't be my choice of what to do on a, on a stag do, but we went to, went to the Glee Club for a couple what of What kind hours. of act were you there to see? Uh, you know, I'd had a, f- a few to drink, to be honest. You know, I see. I, I can't really remember who it was. I think Nathan Case was there, podcast? big Brentford fan. No, no football. There's no, <laughs> there's no football talk at all. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough place to go. Tough crowd in Birmingham. Mm. Right, particularly when we play. Uh, Glee.co.uk is where you can buy tickets, if there are any available. Uh, right. Oh, Charlotte Harper of The Athletic joins us now. Uh, Wednesday, she was fortunate enough to be at one of the biggest stories of the season. Women's Champions League quarterfinal second leg between Barcelona and Real Madrid. A Barcelona Femini, you will recall, had won the away leg in Madrid 3-1. And now in front of a world record crowd Wednesday evening, over 91,000 fans, they faced their rivals again. Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us uh, there in Barcelona. Uh, tell us about Wednesday, even forgetting the, the numbers, the crowd for a second... Uh, the game from the opening goal. What an extraordinary evening. It was crazy. <laughs> I don't think I've ever watched a game like that before. And it was probably one of the best things uh, that I've ever experienced in my life. Amazing. Uh, we were kind of saying just before you joined us, imagine having Barcelona playing in your town and, and not going to see them. It was incredible to see granddaughters taking their grandmothers uh, I, I met a girl who was 26 and her grandmother had been a lifelong Barcelona supporter and now she's a fan of the women's team as well. Or parents taking their four- and seven-year-old boys um, and they've got Alexia Puteas on the back of their shirt. And the whole build-up to the game, the singing in the bars, and it, it wasn't those kind of deep, guttural male voices, it was higher pitch because the women and the girls were singing as well. When the team bus came just outside the gate, it was absolutely packed. I've never seen anything like that for the women's game, and and that was actually really emotional. A lot of people in the press box were crying because it was that kind of event where you thought, wow, this has really struck me to the core. When the world record was announced as well, it was a real kind of momentous occasion that I think there'd always been a struggle to fight for women's sports, to let it make sure it has its place, and it just delivered. The world record was, what, 90-odd thousand from, from uh, 1999, USA China at the Rose Bowl, and this was over 91,500. Also uh, smashed the club record, uh, or the record attendance for a women's club game, which I think was in, in the 60,000s. But, you know, leaving the attendance to one side for a second, the numbers for Barcelona are, are extraordinary. That's the 42nd competitive game that they've won in a row. Their league record this season is 25 wins, 
no draws and no defeats. Their goal difference, 131. They've scored 138 and conceded just seven. Charlie, you know when like Barcelona men are playing Real Madrid men, there's like that in, intense hatred and, and that rivalry there. Was was there any form of that in the women's game this week? In the match, the the whistling was piercing. When um, Real Madrid stepped up to take their penalty to equalise, people were putting their hands over their ears because the whistling was so hostile. And every time Real Madrid committed a foul, there was booing or it was real like that hungry fan rivalry that you, you'd get at an, a, a men's El Clasico. The rivalry's a, a, a lot younger than, than the, 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 the male equivalent, I guess, but I should probably wrap up the score on this as well because Barcelona, having fallen behind in the game, then uh, ended up winning 5-2 to go through 8-3 on aggregate to the semi-finals. We'll see who joins them there. Paris Saint-Germain already threw off to their 2-2 draw also on Wednesday night against Bayern Munich. Wolfsburg will be playing Arsenal uh, this Thursday evening. It's 1-1 from the first leg in London. Juve, meanwhile, will be heading to Lyon for their second leg, taking a a 2-1 lead with them. Can you see anybody touching Barca in this tournament? On the face of it, no, Uh, but... There may always be some surprises. Um, Lyon have been dominant for the last decade and Barcelona kind of toppled them last year. Uh, but the, it's the cohesiveness about Barcelona. And I was speaking to the players and it's the winning mentality. They're like, you know, winning is fun, <laughs> losing is not. And it's just that hunger and desire and the relentlessness in training and the intensity as well that the two Wolfsburg signings that have come over f- to Barcelona last summer, that's what they noticed. It's never 80%. It's 100%. And no one's happy when you have a bad training day. Um, but you you just react and it's the, the team collective which is so palpable at Barcelona. Mm. And while the, the world record crowd has dominated a lot of the headlines straight after the game, it is worth just underlining again. In terms of the football played, it was one of the most entertaining matches that have been played anywhere this season. Yeah, it had everything. And then Real Madrid went ahead with Zornoza's ridiculous long-range effort that caught Panos by surprise as well. I have to say, after that first goal from Real Madrid, there was a, as if a pin had dropped and there was silence. And then it picked up again and then the drums banged and then the um, ole, ole, ole just came through. Um, and then, you know, Barcelona just showed their prowess by scoring three goals within 10 minutes and three really good goals. So, yeah, if, if you haven't watched it, go and um, Rewatch the whole match and I really want to do that as well because I was so conscious of trying to imagine what the sounds were in my head to put them into words that um, you're kind of spending half the time looking at the match but then also just making little notes here and there so mm. The semi-finals coming up in three weeks time and for Barcelona it will be either Arsenal or Wolfsburg so yeah maybe if you're in the London area, Barcelona Femini will be coming to your town. Charlotte, listen, have a great trip back and look forward to catching up with you again. Thanks so much for having me on. For the longest time, I thought the, you know, the greatest women's team ever assembled or probably had the claim to be the greatest sports team on the planet. But this Barcelona team is better than that. I mean, Barcelona women are the best sports team on the planet at the moment. They are... They are New Zealand at rugby, the Harlem Globetrotter style good. And it's a triumph. Mm, indeed so. Well, could be coming to London soon. We shall see. Men's competitions coming up next week. Champions League. We'll have a tough time following that. More thoughts on that come Monday. Next up with a dramatic looking run in ahead of us in the Premier League, we'll be checking out the weekend's fixtures. Keep listening for Duncan Alexander versus Lindsay Hooper. In the Intertotally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And it's pre-recorded. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is excellent news for Everton fans when they make their Lampardian transition from serious to funny to serious once again. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. Premier League. Nine games to go. At the top, one point. Between Manchester City and Liverpool, Chelsea are third. Arsenal looking good for fourth. They're three points clear of Spurs, four of Man United, both of whom have played a game more than the Gunners. While at the bottom, there's three points between Everton and the bottom three. The Toffees with two games in hand on the closest of them, which is Watford. Leeds are now seven clear of danger after those back-to-back wins. Where is Mike Dean refereeing this weekend? Will you have to wait till Wednesday next week for Burnley-Everton? Still can't quite believe he's mm. going to be um, parking his whistle, hanging up his... He's, he's going to do a Jeff Stelling. He's going to do a Tom Brady. The game needs him too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to get, he's going to get a little you know, lap of honour on the final, final Maybe, game of the season. Because he's going he's to the VAR. Go. Is he, what, like as in Tron or something like that? <laughs> he's going to become at one with the VAR. It, it's, a Borg, it's never been done before. A, a yeah. Borg um, Mike Dean. Or maybe it already has been done, and he is. Anyway, uh, well, so yeah, that's Wednesday when Burnley and Everton go at it. Before that, Burnley will be hosting Man City this weekend because the top two are both facing relegation strugglers. Man City, as I mentioned, at Turf Moor. Liverpool hosting Watford. Uh, Jurgen Klopp promising this week Man City a proper fight for the title, which for me made me think, oh, they, they will drop points this weekend against Watford because that's what happens. But then I looked at Watford's record at Anfield and thought again, because their last seven visits, they lost all of them, conceding 23 times, scoring only once. Equally, Manchester City have won all of their last nine meetings with Burnley, scoring 32 goals and conceding just once. Can you see either of these fixtures this weekend surprising us? No. Duncan's shaking his head, but uh, as I tell Duncan all the time, uh, betting against Sean Dyche... When it's not your turn to bet against Sean Dyche is a very foolish, foolish, foolish endeavour. Tough, tough place to go. <laughs> it's never your turn to doubt Sean Dyche. Uh, I don't doubt Sean Dyche. I doubt the players of the Burnley team's capability to beat Manchester City. In but your favourite player in the world plays for Burnley football team. <laughs> that is true. But even even WW is going to struggle against uh, <laughs> MCFC. Right. Yeah. I don't think it'll be a Burnley victory. I think they'll they'll have a nice twenty minute period where they frustrate Manchester City and we'll go, Oh, hang on, we've got a title race. Oh no, they've lost four 0 I mean stylistically it's the biggest clash you can get in the Premier League. Burnley have made um what was it, sixty six sequences of ten or more passes this season. Sounds mm-hmm. all right. I mean I spot Wickham who've made eighteen all season, which is a lower number. Uh Manchester City have made six hundred and eighty five. So Jesus. it's a <laughs> a different approach to the game. There's no right or wrong way to play football, but um, yeah. But at the, the table same time, says there is. Well, yeah, that is true. But at the same time, I do enjoy there's a there's a healthy kind of shaven-headed man respect between Sean Dyche and Pep Guardiola, mm. and I think as long as the right result is reached in this game, I think both managers will have an emotional hug at the end. Nice. Okay. The other game. Liverpool Watford features a return to Anfield for Roy Hodgson, which is always nice. Just remember that he was, for a brief glorious moment, the man in charge there. Very good. All right, so that's that's the top two. The race for fourth involves Arsenal travelling to Crystal Palace on Monday night. That feels like a, a tough game. I feel like both those teams only plan on Monday at the moment. Mm. They seem like <laughs> Monday night football teams, Palace and Arsenal at the, at the moment. They seem to be the ones that are picked every time. But Palace have had some big days. On, mm. on Monday night football, so yeah, you definitely wouldn't bet against Patrick Vieira getting one over his old team. His oh, old I team, anyway. yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, the ratios is all the the formula is 
give me a good football team in the Premier League that's entertaining but isn't in Europe, and then, then you get a lot of Monday night games. And I think probably Palace and Arsenal fit that the yeah. best this season. So Fair enough. Five of the last seven meetings between these two sides have ended in draws. Interesting that, as you mentioned, Dan, it is big Pat Vieira against his old side. There's a lot of managers taking on former teams. You mentioned Roy Hodgson and Liverpool. Later on, we'll touch on Frank Lampard and David Moyes. But before we get to that, in other race for fourth news, Man United will be hosting Leicester, against whom they have been defeated in three of their last four Premier League meetings. That's a very convoluted way of saying that Leicester have Man United's number. What kind of Leicester performance do you, are you anticipating here? They've got PSV in the Europa Conference League quarterfinals coming up next week. They have actually put together a decent run of results of late, lying down in 10th place, so the Premier League's not a massive priority for them. I'm looking at the Leicester squad, circling Wilfred and Didi's name and going, uh-oh, uh-oh. Um, he is the linchpin upon which many of Brendan Rodgers' quite sophisticated tactical schemes work upon. Um, and also Nigeria. I think Nigeria probably didn't reach the World Cup because he was not fit for those mm. qualifiers as well. Um, so if indeed he was fit, his partnership with Yuri Tielemans would have had me very worried as a Manchester United reporter. Um, as he's injured, I, I think this probably is a game United will uh, get a positive result out of. Really? I'm also a bit. I'm also a bit churlish to call this a race for top four. I don't. I don't. This is basically Arsenal's now to lose, mm. uh, and such is the way Arsenal are playing football. Well, Go on. Is it? Because they've still got to play United. They've still got to play Chelsea. They've still got to play Spurs. So I think there's a there's a lot of six pointage circling around in that scenario. I think I would put Spurs. Not quite as likely as Arsenal, but I think Spurs are a good second choice to come fourth. So United aren't really in the race then? If Manchester United were to come fourth, <laughs> I think the rest of the Premier League should be ashamed of themselves, <laughs> in, all, in all honesty. Weird situation at United. It, it, we talked a lot about them on, on Monday's show with, with Lindsay, but is everyone mentally now on next season, now that they're already interviewing managers for, for next time around? A one win in their last five in all competitions as well. It's what's the expensive version of flip flops on the beach? Not quite flip flops on the beach. It I mean, really sort of, nice flip flops. Yeah, sort <laughs> of, on a, sort on of a, yeah. a, a Gucci on towel. A private beach mm. on a private beach. Not quite there. Expensive sliders <laughs> on the beach, I would say. Yeah, 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 something like that. Something like that. There is, you know, top four normally is still there to play for, but I think a number of United fans are very much now thinking of what a future manager could do, who's going to be in, who's going to be out, and, and, and indeed thinking about who's going to be leading the line for United next season. Right. OK. All topics which were touched on on Monday, but Eric Ten Hag um, was interviewed during the international break as plans begin to solidify. So they should be focusing less on Ten Hag and more on nine wins. He won the last nine games <laughs> and United are coming fourth. So uh, that shouldn't have tickled me the way it did. <laughs> Spurs, who Duncan likes as an alternative to Arsenal, will be hosting Newcastle. Spurs have been very good at home of late. Eight goals across their last two fixtures at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. They've also won four of their last five. However, I read also that Newcastle are unbeaten in their two previous trips to said venue, but they did get beaten by 10-man Everton in their last Premier League outing. Didn't the first version of Joel Linton score the winner at Spurs <laughs> one year? We're now on, I think, Joel Linton 2.0, but when he was when he was an unpopular forward, I think he, one of his mm. rare goals was a winner against Spurs, <laughs> and now he's this all-action, packed midfielder that everyone loves. It's an interesting clash in the sense that Spurs, their position in the top six, or the big six, if you like, I guess is most under threat from Newcastle's potential in the next few seasons. And you mm. wonder... You, you could almost see Newcastle rivaling Spurs in terms of transfer targets over this summer and future transfer windows. So, yeah, it's it's, a, it's quite an interesting one from that point of view. And obviously, you know, Harry Kane is in great form uh, now. So, yeah, you wonder whether Newcastle might be in the summer, depending on a few things, whether they could put in a, a monster bid for said hitman. Wow. That'd be a fascinating transfer saga to follow in the months ahead. Uh, Narrative-wise, you can't say fairer than West Ham Everton, though. 
you've got your Moyes against Everton, you've got your Lampard going back to West Ham, and you've got the three points between Everton and the drop narrative as well. Oh yeah, this, I think this is secretly the pick of, of this weekend's games. I am greatly confused by Frank Lampard's Everton. Um, and uh, a little saddened that the, the sort of West Ham hype or West Ham conversation has died down. I still think that any sort of, wherever they finish in the table, it's, it should be considered the triumph uh, and vindication for David Moyes' methods. So, uh, yeah, very interested to see how this one plays out. I mean, maybe not wherever they, they finish, but... <laughs> well, I, in my head, in, you know, in the, in the universe where we mm. discuss things as, you know, before COVID... And and the current state, where we you know, there's yesterday, which was March seventh, uh, twenty twenty. I still think about that West Ham team and how that West Ham team, you know, had only just climbed out of relegation battle. Right. And I think about how you know how relatively recently West Ham, the fan base was in you know chaos. They were protesting. They absolutely despised the London Stadium, and David Moyes was being regarded as something of a clown. And now West Ham are, I mean. Facing Leon in in Europe next week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes, and sometimes they're legitimately the third best team in the capital, which is brilliant. I think. I mean, one of the things this season has been the um, emergence of the London Stadium as a, you know, as an atmospheric place. The fans have finally seem to have kind of adopted it and, and settled in. Which uh, it's the old brass side, the one thing we didn't want to happen. <laughs> Frank Lampard <laughs> for going away to West Ham. He must be pretty much dreading the uh, the atmosphere I imagine in this game. Mm. Everton's record on the road, not the best as well. Uh, Lampard, you will have heard, was only the third manager in Everton's storied history to lose his first four away games. And also his players will have to find their box as well. Uh, he's, done some, was, he's done some bizarre interviews recently. That, that one after the FA Cup literally did sound like me when I lose at FIFA. Talking the way he was talking about the goals was unbelievable. I found it incredible. Just no responsibility whatsoever. I think he said a, a random goal, a, a fluke goal, a set piece. That is literally me when I lose a game of FIFA. <laughs> All right. Uh, Carl's touting that one as the big fixture of the weekend. But next we'll get on to the one that Dan might have circled in red. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. All right, Dan, Wolves, Aston Villa, is this a big one in that neck of the woods? It's probably bigger for the Wolves fans than it is for the for the Villa fans. There's kind of this complex. You know, I'm going to get hated for saying this, this probably, and yeah. sound like an arrogant Villa fan. But there's not the Villa fans have got particularly any reason to be arrogant in recent years. But all the other Midlands teams hate Villa more than Villa hate them. Villa's role was a Birmingham City, and that's the game that Villa fans really care about. But mm. whenever we come up against anyone else in the Midlands. They, they hate Villa and they want to get one over Villa because historically Villa have been the most successful team in, in, in the West Midlands. So it's definitely a bigger one for the Wolves fans. I've never had so many tweets saying mind the gap as I have in the last three or four years for right. Wolves fans. I've never never really heard of them before, but since they uh, since they went up, the mind the gap tweets have, have gone through the roof. But there is an, it's an interesting game because Villa have got a game in hand on Wolves. So Villa go to Molyneux and win and win their game in hand. There's only four points between them and everyone looks at Wolves as having, having had this really good season. So Villa have still got an outside chance of finishing eighth. So forget the rivalry. Mm. I, I would love Villa to finish in, in, in the top eight and I think that's what Steven Gerrard will, will want to push towards. So it's a big game in, in, in that respect. But yeah, it's, it's one that's bigger to the Wolves fans than it is the Villa fans. Although you, uh, Dan, and, and probably all villains will be filled with a burning desire for revenge after 
Wolves came back from 2-0 down in the last 10 minutes of the reverse fixture to win 3-2 and then celebrated, which we all know Villa supporters hate. Well, <laughs> Wolves fans and Wolves players seem to have a lot of complaints about over-the-top celebrations. I think Ruben Neves came out after the <laughs> Arsenal game talking about mm. it, but I have never seen well, celebrations like it. Dan, you seem quite het up about Wolves here. I mean, considering I don't care about them, yeah, but their, their celebrations after that game at Villa Park, I will say that was one of the biggest collapses I've ever seen. I've been to Villa Park a lot of times in my life and that capitulation was like nothing I've ever seen. So it would be nice to get a little bit of revenge because it kind of felt like Villa's season under Dean Smith went on a downward trajectory after that game and it kind of reignited Wolves and got their season going. Before that, they were a team that were creating a lot of chances and not scoring a lot of goals. And they've mm. kind of found a balance since then and it, it got their season up and up and running. But I'd like to finish top dogs of the Midlands. So, yeah, it's a big game in that respect. OK. Wolves themselves coming off a fixture which saw then the wrong end of a 2-0 to 3-2 comeback. Uh, Leeds. Of course, Raul Jimenez's red card played a pivotal role in that and he won't be featuring in this game. Just on the subject of Villa's run, as you say, things took a bit of a, uh, a dip under Dean Smith and then uh, he got replaced by Stevie G and under Gerrard things were brilliant. But at the moment, consecutive defeats, teams stopped scoring a bit. What's going on? It just it's, We're a mid-table side. I was at an, an evening with Tyro Mings the other night and he said oh. mid-table's not where the club want to be. But the reality is that's where we are at the moment. So we might win a few games in a row. Then we might lose a few games in a row. And, and that's, it, that's exactly what's happening. I did kind of feel at, at one point Maybe some players knew they, they might not be fancy by Gerard and they might not be there next season because I do think there'll be a lot of transfer activity from Villa in the summer. I think they'll back Steven Gerrard incredibly heavily with a lot of financial power behind him and I think Gerrard will be able to attract players. So I think in some ways that maybe the players know that they might not be there next season. But I do think it's what Tyrone Ming said that we're a mid-table side. It's where we are. We'll win some, we'll lose some. And we've had two horrific runs this, this season. We had the five in a row under Dean Smith and then I think we won one in eight under Steve and Gerard, then we went on a three in a row and now we've lost two in a row. So it's, it's just, we're a mid-table side and, and that's that. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Chelsea taking on Brentford this Saturday at three o'clock. Chelsea, who quietly put together 12 wins from the last 13 matches in all competitions. The only one they've not won in that game was a penalty shootout defeat to Liverpool in the League Cup. Uh, they've also beaten... Draw. In- a draw, in fact. Mm. Not uh, this again. <laughs> they've also beaten Brentford twice already this season, but that was before the incredible Christian Eriksen story came to that part of West London. Will it be more fairy tale stuff from from Hans Christian this this time? What do you think? Mm, I'm pulling the face. I think that this Chelsea team uh, and Thomas Tuchel. I think Thomas Tuchel is going to do everything in his power to make Chelsea as boring as possible between oh. now and the end of the season if that makes sense mm-hmm. I think he, he, he his job as a manager is to 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 leave the the most newsworthy stories about Chelsea to to incidents away from the football field right um, and I think the return of the return of Rhys James and, and other fullbacks will make Chelsea far too good for Brentford okay they've got Real Madrid coming up on Wednesday Woof. Mm. Mm. also three o'clock on Saturday you've got Leeds against Southampton Clash of former RB Leipzig managers, this. And what's set to be another noisy afternoon, I'm guessing, at Ellen Road. The verve of the crowd, so much a topic this week, has has been a big factor behind their resurgence under Jesse Marsh. This one's going to be really interesting because in the goals that Leeds do concede, it seems to come from uh, Leeds players being caught between uh, Bielsa's methods and, and Marsh's methods. Um, so in the same way, Dan mentioned about how Aston Villa, when they were in the championship, didn't really have players away in, on the international break. Um, I think Leeds don't really didn't really have too many players going on the international break. So you would expect Leeds to probably have a little um, extra 10, 15 percent because Marsh had more time to, to work with them in training. Um, Southampton used to do this quite often where they'd always come out the international break a bit stronger because Hassan will basically just drill them. Um, throughout the international break, although now Southampton players are getting good and are going international break, this sort of bounces has dropped off a bit. So I think in the uh, in the RB flavored derby of the Premier League football, mm. Leeds might have a slender advantage just because I think Marsh probably has a bit longer in the training field in the last week and a half. All right. Uh, also featuring on the training field in the last week and a half, Calvin Phillips and Lynn Cooper, but not Patrick Bamford, who's now set to miss the rest 
of the season. Well, Jesse Marsh have been teaching Leeds players to get fewer yellow cards is the big question. Um, they've got 90 this season. The next highest team in Newcastle on 66. And they only need five more to set an all-time Premier League record for a single season, which feels pretty inevitable with the amount of games left. So... Mm. Um, <laughs> We could be looking at the first team to get into three figures for yellow cards, which in Mike Dean's final season is a lovely, lovely touch. Isn't it, though? Oh, hey, Brighton Norwich. Not sure how, how you've ended up all the way down here, but let's have a quick <laughs> check on you. Also taking place this Saturday at three o'clock. No team has scored fewer goals at home in the Premier League this season than Brighton. And interestingly, no team has scored fewer goals away from home this season than their visitors Norwich, the earlier game between them at Carroll Road in October, finished. Anyone? Brighton have never won in April in the Premier League. Yeah, 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 that's a fact. And remember in the autumn when we were all going, ah, yeah, Graham Potter's fixed it. Brighton are now like scoring mm. difficult chances. Mm, they're once again the team with the biggest gap between goals and expected goals in the Premier League. So um, there you go. The same old, it ripped off the mask and it was the same old Brighton underneath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just underline, as Duncan says, they have never won a Premier League game in the month of April. And uh, that was not a statement from me earlier on, uh, before where I said that the uh, previous meeting between them ended at Carrow Road. I mean, it did, but there was a kind of question mark implied. The score <laughs> was nil-nil, of course, very much continuing on my theme of Goallessness. Uh, Crystal Palace take on Arsenal on Monday night and then you've got your extra bonus game of Burnley-Everton on the Wednesday. Good. We'll see how all of that leaves the always exciting Premier League table uh, on Monday in the Totally Show. Today, let's finish off with some inter-totally. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Inter-totally time, everyone. After a brief hiatus, we are halfway through the quarterfinals. Last time out, you recall, Julien Laurence laughed off your PSG comparisons by reaching the semi-finals again with a narrow and typically controversial win over Benji Lanyado. Also in the semi-finals, Daniel Storey, who put out Michael Cox, then survived a narrow quarterfinal clash with Floyd Lloyd Hughes. Facing Daniel in the semi-final will be the winner of today's inter-totally clash. Let's meet our two hopefuls. Up first, the messiah of metrics, the deity of data. His specialist subjects include Vogt-Weghorst and passes per defensive action. He is Duncan Alexander. All right, Duncan. Boards of Canada, they'll be celebrating, of course, at the moment, no? Yeah, one of the few songs to reference the yellow board, which I always think is quite a nice nod to the, uh, mm. you know, winter football. So Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, great to have you back on, uh, Duncan. Mm. Uh, you made short work of Alvaro in our opening fixture, but then you've had kind of like the last three weeks off. Uh, questions perhaps over match fitness. Yeah, I feel it much like um, Sean Dyche a lot of the time, generally, but um, also particularly with this because it has been a big gap between fixtures. But, mm. you know, I've been training, but you can't replicate uh, match conditions in training. Can you um, not? Right, not with quizzing, no. I see. All right. Well, it's a tough draw for you. Let's meet your opponent. His opponent. She chewed up Rory Smith and spat him out of the competition. She cheats at Monopoly, but will she play fair in this quarterfinal? It's Lindsay Hooper. I am hungry. <laughs> Are you hungry, Lindsay? Yes. Welcome back, Lindsay. And by the way, what a stellar job you did hosting. Oh, thank you. On Monday. Don't go away too often. All right, then. <laughs> uh, but no, I thought it was great. Um, you as well, listener. Great. Anyway, now, uh, how, so you're hungry today and you've had a busy day, Lindsay. I have. I've been doing podcasting, but on the offside rule earlier. Right. I had uh, an interview with Eric Dyer and Ooh. then I did a chat with Thomas Tuchel for a Premier wow. League event and then hosted the Premier League event and then I've seen you and I've not really eaten. So that's why I'm I'm still chomping. Right. Okay. 
I wonder if you're going to bonk midway through question three. <laughs> Possibly. I'm a bit worried. I yeah. think I needed my brain to be at full capacity to beat Duncan and it's far mm. from it. Well, let's see. Neither of you have ever been beyond the quarterfinal stage. So we could be seeing some emotional scenes come the final whistle. Remember, you, it's Daniel Story who awaits in the semifinals. And remember, too, that whoever... Uh, is victorious today, wins £10, which Paddy Power will place on the bed of your choice with the winnings going to the charity of your choice. Lindsay, what's your charity going to be? Uh, Derby Rimmer Foundation, I'll stick with the one from from last time out, um, mm-hmm. raising awareness for motor neuron disease and they're also raising funds to try and find an eventual cure. Excellent. What will your bet be? I'm going to be at Palace Arsenal on Monday night and mm-hmm. I think it will make it more interesting if I put something on that. So I've looked, I think, over two and a half goals. Over two and a half goals. Duncan, your charity and your wager. Charity is the Trust or Trust again because um, things ain't improving. And the bet is uh, man of the moment Christian Eriksen to score against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge uh, this weekend. Wow, what a story that would be. Uh, Lindsay, you're up first. Here comes question one. Lindsay, which club links Glenn Hoddle, Emmanuel Adebayor, Cesc Fabregas and Patrice Evra? Can you say all four again? <clears throat> uh, Glenn Hoddle, Emmanuel Adebayor, Cesc Fabregas and Patrice Evra. Which club do they all have in common? I'm not convinced on all of them, but I'm going to say Barcelona. No. No, it's very much Monaco. OK. Monaco. Mm. Question two. There's six questions now, so plenty of, plenty of room for you to gain ground back. Here's a list of Steve Bruce's five most recent managerial jobs. But which club is missing? Hull City, Aston Villa, a blank, Newcastle United and West Brom. What's the club that goes in the middle of that? That's... Aston Villa, Hull City. So Hull City, then Aston Villa, then somewhere else, then to Newcastle, and then to West Brom. Um, I, I think that's... I actually think Sunderland was before then. Uh, oh, didn't he have a spell uh, Sheffield Wednesday? Oh, just beating the buzzer there. Oh. <laughs> Lindsay Hooper, that was uh, that was big. Uh, question three. Who was the last team other than Celtic and Rangers to win the Scottish title? Oh, no, this is not my strong point at all. <clears throat> other than Celtic and Rangers. Yeah. Aberdeen are usually up there. Hearts. I think it was someone a bit different. I'm going to go Hearts. Should have gone Aberdeen. Should have gone Aberdeen. Oh, cutting. All right, then. Question four. Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Steve McManaman, Teddy Sheringham, Wayne Rooney and Sol Campbell are the six Englishmen to do what? Stephen Gerrard, Frank yeah. Lampard, Steve yeah. McManaman, Teddy Sheringham, Wayne Rooney and Sol Campbell are the only six Englishmen to ever do what? Score at more than one World Cup? I'm afraid not, Lindsay, no. It is score, but it's in a Champions League final. Oh. Gerrard, Lampard, McManaman, Sheringham, Wayne Rooney and Sol Campbell. Hmm. Question five. Could be crucial getting this one. Barcelona broke the world transfer record in 1996 when they bought Ronaldo or Phenomeno. But which club did they buy him from? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, I feel like it must have been a Brazilian club, but... Goofy Bucktooth Brazilian Ronaldo. Where did he come from when he went to Barcelona. I don't think it was a Brazilian club. Was it was that when he was playing in um 
in the Netherlands. Oh my gosh, I'm going to go for that, but I don't know. PSV. Is correct, Lindsay. <gasps> I needed that one. I really needed that one. Wow, how crucial that could prove. Oh. Here comes question six then, to make it a fat three <laughs> out of six. Which of these teams did Robbie Keane not play for? Coventry City, Aston Villa, West Ham, Fulham and Celtic. One of those is a bum steer. But which? Fulham. Is correct, Lindsay. I know I know my Robbie Keane. All right. <laughs> Good specialist subject to have. Mm. So uh, at the end of that round, Lindsay Hooper, you've scored three out of six. Uh, thanks to a fine finale, how do you feel? Average, which is what the score would be deemed as, isn't mm. it? Average. Well... Actually, all the way through, every single time I listen, I've never got more. I've got three. I get three consistently really? in this quiz. Yeah. You're like the Roy Hodgson of Lynn's the Lynn's three hooper. <laughs> <laughs> well, with a score of three out of six to beat, Duncan, you're up next. Here comes question one. Which club links Didier Drogba, George Haji, Graham Souness and Tugai? Those names again, Drogba, Haji, Suness, and Tugai. Which club links them? Galatasaray. Is correct, Duncan. Question two. In Derby County's record-breakingly bad 11-point season in 2007-8, who was the only team they beat? Uh, Newcastle United. Question three, Duncan. Which national team's nickname is The Elephants? Uh, um, Ivory Coast. Is correct. I see the look on your face, Lindsay. Yeah, he's going to get me. Yeah, level, oh, Duncan. Yeah. This, to book a place with Daniel Storey in the semi-final. Who is the only player to have been man of the match in both a World Cup final and a Champions League final? Iniesta. Is incorrect. You're still alive, Lindsay. The dream of a tiebreaker is still alive. The correct answer was Zinedine Zidane. Mm. Oh. Heard of him. Question five. Which team has won the League Cup the most times? Um, Liverpool FC. Is correct. Duncan, you're in the Ooh. semi-final. I did this just a few weeks ago, so I did know that one. Ah. Yeah, Duncan, how do you feel? Uh, emotional. It is a, you know, uh, a new paradigm for me. And, you know, it'll be good to go up against uh, Daniel, who looks yeah. pretty imperious thus far. Well, I wonder how he'll be feeling at the prospect of taking you on. Lindsay, a brave effort, but this is where you leave the totally... It is. Congratulations to Duncan. I'll be rooting for him. And I also oh, want to know what the, fin- what the final question is. Let's have the final question. Which of these teams did Andy Cole not play for? Arsenal, Nottingham Forest, QPR, Portsmouth, Sunderland. Andy Cole didn't feature for one mm. of those clubs. Uh, QPR. Lindsay? Yeah, I think it might be QPR. I think it is QPR. Which would have given you a score, Duncan, of five out of six. Impressive stuff. Uh, Very good. All right, then. Well, there you go. Uh, At some point, we'll get you up against Daniel Storey for a place Mm. in the final. You're six or seven questions away from the big one, Duncan. Extraordinary. Yep. Exciting stuff. Bring it on, etc. Where's my agent? Lindsay, you'll be in that seventh, eighth playoff, no doubt, further down the line. Won't be um, as bad as Italy and Turkey, though, will it? No, or Sweden. Don't forget Sweden. (laughs) I know. Anyway, uh, Lindsay, thank you so much for being with us and we'll catch you soon for more Intertotally Madness. Congratulations, Duncan Alexander. We'll see you in the semi-finals. And if you, like Duncan, think that Christian Eriksen will score any time against Chelsea on Saturday, it's priced at 9-2 at paddypower.com and on the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only and please gamble responsibly. Well, there you go, Duncan. Poof, eh? And uh, many thanks to uh, Carl and Dan for their patience as they as they sat through that. It was thrilling, wasn't it? What a performance from 
from Duncan and Dan and Carl, are you going to be putting your names in the hat for next year after that? I wouldn't mind a go. I like a quiz. Wouldn't mind a go. Wouldn't mind a go. How did you do on those questions? <laughs> Pretty good. I reckon I was at 80%. Right. Yeah, I reckon I'd hit, hit the 80% mark there. Wow. It's easy to say <laughs> that, though, before you've got you know the spotlight and the dramatic That's music true. playing under you. That is true. Your answers. Mm. All right. Well, congratulations again, Duncan. That, that brings us to the end of today's Totally Show, listener. Many thanks for your company. We're back on Monday, of course. Uh, not sure who's joining us then. There'll be some Daniel story in there, though, I imagine. Carl, Dan, Duncan, lovely to have you with us. Listener, you too. Have a great weekend, everyone. Producer Charlie, we'll catch up with you next time. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.